Hello, and welcome to a new edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, editor here at Security Ledger. We have two great guests with us today to talk about the week's security news. Ron Gula is the CEO and co-founder of Tenable Network Security, which makes a widely used and admired Nessus vulnerability scanner. Ron was the original author of the Dragon IDS and started his career, funny enough, at the National Security Agency, conducting penetration tests on government networks and doing vulnerability research. At Tenable, Ron's responsible for product strategy, research development, and product design and development. Also with us is Dr. Rick Forno, who directs the University of Maryland Baltimore County's Graduate Cybersecurity Program. Richard serves as Assistant Director of UMBC's Center for Cybersecurity, and he's also a Junior Affiliate Scholar at Stanford Law School's Center for Internet and Society, or CIS. Richard's the author of two books, Weapons of Mass Delusion, America's Real National Emergency, which uh, was released uh, by Page Free back in 2003. An Incident Response, released by O'Reilly back in 2001. Gentlemen, welcome to Security Ledger Podcast. Hello. Hey, pleasure to be here. Great. And we'll say up front, Ron's on a cell phone and in a car and driving by NSA headquarters. So we we may well lose him and he may never be heard from again. (laughs) Okay. So there's so much to talk about this week. I wanted to first just start by getting each of your thoughts and impressions on the big story of the week, which is both the disclosure by The Guardian of the um, warrantless wiretap of, of Verizon customers, um, as well as the subsequent story on the PRISM uh, project, which involved the which involves the monitoring of all variety of communications over some pretty prominent social networks and uh, internet uh, technology companies. Ron, why don't you start? Oh, absolutely. So I, I think this is really, really interesting news. It's the kind of thing that, you know, if we were having beers at, at, uh, at, at DEF CON or Black Hat or something like that, say, hey, do you think the NSA is, you know, sucking up all the emails going in and out of Google and stuff? Everybody would have nodded their heads and say, well, yeah, sure, of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. But when you see it in the news like this, when you see it, uh, you know, leaked, leaked from a foreign country, uh, leaked with a PowerPoint with funny, cool logos in it, there's all sorts of, um, you know, nuances to this where people start second-guessing and whatnot. And then, of course, the 24 news hour cycle, you know, spins this where you've got a lot of different people talking about this from a privacy point of view, from a lack of understanding how the Internet works or the inner workings of, like, Facebook and Google work. So it makes for very, very interesting conversations. Rick, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with everything Ron just said. Um, uh, It's not surprising that this has been going on. I've been saying this since, um, you know, before 2001, that the Internet was provided the capabilities of, you know, mass surveillance such as this. Um, It's part of how um, the Internet has come to be. We, We accept that because we use these various products and services like Facebook and Google and Amazon, uh, um, Yahoo and Hotmail on a regular basis. So if you don't own your data yourself on your own servers, chances are somebody may have access to it. The whole idea of positive control of your information. So this isn't surprising to me to see this being done. I agree completely with Ron that seeing it in print and seeing actual official documentation that's been leaked, that I hope will spark public discussion about how far we go down the surveillance path in light of all these uh, changes since 
but it's not surprising. So, so both of you have said things that I've I've heard I've heard other people saying as well, which is, well, what did you think that they were doing? And you know, we should all have assumed a long time ago, or we all knew a long time ago, that this type of monitoring was going on, particularly in the post nine uh, eleven uh, world that we live in. On the other hand, is is this legal? I mean, as we look at it, uh, is this all in the fine print of the Patriot Act and, and its various reauthorizations? My understanding going way back was that, you know, uh, spying on U.S. citizens by either the CIA or the NSA is verboten, no matter, you know, uh, what what the Patriot Act says. Uh, is, is So is that... Is that piece of it new that, hey, it, it's not just that they're looking for who the Sarnab brothers are talking to in, in Chechnya. You know, they're they're picking up everything and 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 using big data analytics to figure out what they're interested in. I, I think that the uh, the Patriot Act, if you recall, over the past few years, there um, there have been a few senators that have made very strong references about ominous interpretations of sections of the Patriot Act pertaining to business records and business transactions. I think now we know what those those classified interpretations were, yes. um, and that's shocking to many people. But when you have a broadly worded court order, as we saw with the Verizon disclosure yesterday, that is deemed legal by a broadly worded law provision of law section 215 of the patriot act then you really have almost carte blanche to operate within that very broad framework so it very well technically may be legal under a given interpretation ron yeah i, I definitely agree that a lot of the legalese and policy here is is it's uh, you know, all the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. Everybody I've spoken to, you know, who's got direct knowledge of this is all happy with this. They're just unhappy that it's in the public light. But one thing that's going on with all this is that there's a certain amount of data that's been voluntarily given over to the intelligence community here. That is, that is, is that that's what's being claimed? So I run a business. I'm sure a lot of your listeners run a business. If you saw evidence of somebody threatening your business, you're going to call the, the, the police. You're going to call the FBI. But if you have a type of business where you might have information about, you know, somebody who might be terrorist one talking to terrorist two, and this kind of information is kind of a burden to give to, to people who can do something about it, um, having these kinds of uh, programs, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you've got a history of dealing with law enforcement, uh, search warrants to you know, shut down spammers, child molesters, and, and uh, people stealing money. So I'm, you know, I'm very, very comfortable with the fact that there's a good legal defense for this and even a good ethical defense for this. Okay. Um, do you think uh, that most Americans are going to feel the same way? You're obviously coming from a particular perspective. You're a technical guy. You work at a security company. You worked, obviously, for, for the NSA in your in your professional past. Most people reading this story, are they going to say, yeah, I'm OK with that or no, this is this is, you know, leading, you know, we don't want the Stasi, you know, we don't want this, you know, uh, overreaching surveillance state that that is crawling through all of our data. And this is something that I'm not comfortable with. Yeah, the, the whole concept of privacy is really what's going on here. When you put email at Google, there's an expectation of availability and, and convenience 
and and privacy, right? But then when you start realizing there's ads and you're getting these invites for other people who you know might know you but no friends, it's it's a little bit different. So so from a very tactical level, people understand it's not a hundred percent private. But when you have something like a news story like this, where it claims, hey, all these in- interrelations have been given to the uh, to the intelligence community, it kind of makes people kind of stand up and say, well, I don't like that, until they start thinking about it. And that's that's why I'm really encouraged in, in, in doing uh, a podcast like this and getting people talking about this, because it's the kind of thing that 10 years from now or 20 years from now we might look back on and go, yeah, this was the turning point where we could have done something about, you know, really, really in-depth monitoring, or we could have said, hey, look, this is part of the computers and the databases making our life easier uh, to get these things done. Okay, Rick, your thoughts. Well, I I, def- I agree that um, you know the American public is you know still kind of looking into this. Um, we have, I think, as a society, grown very comfortable with the idea of um, exposing you know parts of our lives to the internet through Facebook and Twitter and um, you know shared services. And I think technology has conditioned much of society to feel comfortable with that sharing. So the impact to each person may be less now than it might have been 20 years ago. But in another sense, I also think that if this program, these types of surveillance programs are designed to um, identify terrorists uh, looking to do damage uh, to attack the United States, Chances are the smart terrorist is not using Gmail or cell phones or Facebook to communicate. They're going off the grid and, um, to use the term, going old school because they know that these types of capabilities have been available to the United States for many, many years. Back in 2000, and I believe, two, Osama bin Laden stopped using a cell phone or a satellite phone because he knew the U.S. could monitor it. That made things much more difficult. So – here in this case, a smart terrorist, or an effective terrorist, I should say, is probably not going to use um, you know these types of services. Okay, the companies involved in this uh, Prism program, which are Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Apple, um, who am I forgetting? Not Twitter. Um, uh, have said uh, in various statements, you know, we didn't know, we have no idea about this program. It's nothing that we know about. Nobody has access, backdoor access to our servers. Uh, and basically, sort of shrugging and saying, news to us, we have no knowledge of this program. Is is that plausible, or is it merely, uh, you know, compartmentalized within these organizations? So the people saying that can be honest, saying that they don't know about it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. This is where speculation comes in, but just, you know, we, we've seen so many, you know, apology tours by people and so many, you know, words that are parsed, so on. When somebody says there's no, we've not given access to all of our servers, uh, that's a very, very logical statement, and that could be very, very, very true. But we're just kind of sitting here speculating, going, yeah, there's still a lot of technical wiggle room in there. Right. Um, they're kind of saying no, but we all know in the back of our mind. It might not be every server at this place. It right. could be a, a summary table. It could be a, a status updates. It could be, you know, geo. There's, there's so many things. And speculating is, is kind of worthless at this, at this point because there's just so many things that could be done. Just like the, you know, the uh, uh, 
head of uh, national uh, intelligence, uh, sorry, the NSA uh, uh, testifying more or less that, uh, you know, we didn't wittingly uh, collect data on Americans, but leaving open the possibility that they, you know, unwittingly did so, right? Yeah, well, yes, or or in some cases, uh, he they he never specifically said we're targeting the United, uh, Americans, but he never answered the question: Are we monitoring all Americans? So Ron's right; you have um, a lot of wiggle room and a lot of semantics based on how you interpret, quite frankly, English. And I was joking with a friend last evening when this story broke that this may very well come down to another case of how do you define the word "is." Right. Which was a, 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 a Clinton, joke back in the, in, the, yeah. in the Clinton years. Yes, okay. And this may be the very same thing. How do you, it all de- depends what you define targeting or monitoring. Right. Uh, one, of, one of Bill Clinton's famous uh, uh, statements, right? Um, Correct. Uh, okay. Um, I was going to make a really off color reference about one of his other famous statements, but I decided. <laughs> Hey, let's just keep using words like cyber. <laughs> let's not go there. Um, on to a somewhat related story, which is the, the summit this week between President Obama uh, and the um, head of the Chinese government, President Xi, in California. A very high-level meeting, really designed to foster a close relationship. Cyber is reportedly very high on the agenda of things that they're going to be talking about. Specifically, we would guess the reports that the Chinese government is engaged in wholesale espionage against the U.S. government and against U.S. corporations. Gentlemen, what is going to be the outcome of this summit? Uh, anything useful from the U.S. standpoint? Rick, do you have a comment on that? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so, quite frankly. You'll see a lot of um, uh, good-natured camaraderie and pledges of cooperation. Maybe they'll have, they'll have a cyber hotline established, you know, in case of future cyber suspicions. But um, I don't think there will be any meaningful outcomes to this summit on the cyber front. I do find it interesting, though, that the um, disclosures this week occurred quite close to the start of that summit. So there may be some motivation by somebody in the world somewhere, but it's just interesting the timing of these revelations leading up to a summit where cyber is going to place very high on the agenda. And the timing's also kind of interesting when you look at the string of, uh, of issues that have been occupying uh, Washington recently with the uh, you know, the uh, tapping of the Associated Press phones, the uh, targeting of tea parties. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where at the end of the, uh, at the day with the prison program, it's basically, well, you look, you got to trust your government. We have oversight. Right. And we saw a story come out also from The Guardian, another Glenn Greenwald story uh, just at the uh, end of the day or midday today about a uh, offensive cyber offensive hit list that apparently the Obama administration drew up sometime late last year um, of saying, you know, give me give me some targets. If if they're doing it to us, we're going to start doing it to them. And, and who's top on the list? Are we sort of uh, crossing the Rubicon here? I don't think so. Um, this was long uh, in, in the making. Uh, I, I know for a fact uh, this was you know, publicly acknowledged that the U.S. was developing a White House directive governing cyber operations. Uh, so that's not a surprise in and of itself. The revelation that it became public so quickly, uh, that is surprising. Ron? 
So I haven't been with the NSA since uh, before 9-11. Uh, but while I was there, I, I did see a cyber weapon, and somebody pointed to a, uh, a Cisco firewall, right? So we've, we've come a very, very long way in, in, in what those capabilities may be. But um, that type of public knowledge is just not really, uh, really out there. But uh, having a sense of, um, uh, you know, what we're going to target, I think it's just it's really bad that that stuff's leaked. You don't, you don't want to let your uh, potential adversaries know that you might be doing these things. That's true. Um, but I would say the, the document, as, I, as I've come across it this afternoon, doesn't specifically call out chapter and verse specific targets. It's very broad, very conceptual, uh, very theoretical, almost as a military doctrine level. So it's not actually a hit list per se. Yes. Clearly somebody in the White House recently got a new job um, <laughs> and is on their way out. <laughs> um, no, we don't know that. We don't know where these are coming from, but they're coming fast and furious right now. And you do have to wonder why. Um, that is, it does raise the question, and, and apparently this is also on the agenda out in California between China and the U.S. China apparently bringing their own dossier and talking about what we don't hear a lot about in the U.S., but we suspect is going on, which is you're doing this to us, too. Um, you're hacking our private corporations. You're hacking our government agencies and collecting data, and you have been for years. Um, do, do you think that there are qualitative or quantitative differences between the types of hacking that the NSA or CIA might be doing or the military might be doing against targets within China and what we now know about through Mandiant and others about what the Chinese government has been doing in the U.S. over the last 10 or 12 years? You know, one of the big differences is, is the culture. Uh, the, the, the average person in China, when you, when you go to the trade shows and the, the security shows, I mean, they're openly sell you tools to do, you know, cell phone monitoring and things like that. You can get that kind of stuff here in the U.S., but it's not as, it's not as prominent, right? So there's this big culture difference between us and, um, uh, and, and China. But as far as specific techniques or, what, you know, what, what the, the U.S. is doing, I mean, that, if we knew, we couldn't say, and if we speculated, we'd probably be wrong. So I, I really don't want to comment there. Rick, help me out. I'll, yeah, I would take a slightly, I'll take a slightly different tack. Um, speculation, um, yes, wouldn't wouldn't be helpful. But if you look at um, cyber espionage, and I hate putting cyber in front of the word espionage or most words, but if you look at cyber espionage, how is that different from conducting traditional espionage during the Cold War or you know uh, 500 years ago? Um, nations want to acquire secrets about their their peers and their adversaries. China tends to come after the U.S. looking at, you know, economic things, blueprints, um, pharmaceutical formulas, and so forth. I would speculate, and I use that word markedly, that we, the U.S., would look at things like um, strategic battle plans, political intelligence, who's, who's in charge of certain military units, those sort of things. Um, so there may be some similarities in technique, but the um, motivations and the ultimate desired information probably is going to be different between the U.S. and China. I, it seems also that there's one major – that there's a major sort of structural difference as well, which is 
you know, the Chinese military can spy on behalf of industries or, or mark, you know, industry leaders that are Chinese government owned, right? And so there's this very very a uh, vertical integration between the spying that the government's doing and the and the private sector the industry whereas in the united states that that's absolutely not the case right um you know the government isn't going to spy on behalf of lockheed martin or maybe it is i don't know maybe maybe that will change but my sense is you know historically that you know there was a there was an air gap between what the CIA or NSA or the government military was up to and what the needs and priorities of private sector companies are but again may, may, that could be one thing that changes in the next 10 years i don't know what are you, what are your thoughts gentlemen well when you're when you're leading the technology right when you're leading the 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 the, the next generation whatever it is right submarines you know airplanes whatnot um, you're not going around and and trying to steal that to catch up, right? We're not playing catch up with uh, with, with, with people, right? So there's and, a and there's a there's an information there's a disparity between you know we have right. what they want, they don't particularly have much that we want, right? Like you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of I don't want to say you know good or bad, but in general, we're still the leaders. The U.S. is still the leaders with with IP uh, across the board. Right when it comes to you know innovating services like you know cloud and social, military technology, uh, you know and so on. So so we're the ones that are stolen from. Uh, now that might shift right as, as as more and more people get access to technology and there's more and more things. Sure, maybe that's going to be a bit more more interesting. But just anecdotally, I, I can't even think of somebody who ever said, "Oh yeah, by the way, I got we got had that feature we got for this other you know widget in the router." Yeah, some government guys dropped off this box from um, you know some other country, and we got—I've never heard that, I've never seen that. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so you don't you don't see that basic uh, relationship changing. You don't you don't see us going down going down that path. Well, I mean, the national priorities for our—I mean, if you if you look, you know, what what the intel community's websites say and stuff like that, you know, what are they doing? They're fighting terrorism. And they're fighting uh, the military apparatuses of our, of, of you know, likely um, uh, threats to the U.S. Right? Economic uh, stuff has always been a spotty thing, right? I mean, there's a long history of, you know, the CIA's, you know, global estimates, and they've been, been you know, off or on or whatever. But it's it's not a um, uh, priority as as much as, uh, you know, tracking terrorists these days. Okay. Um... I guess with the with the couple minutes we have left, uh, I would turn it to you. Have these stories of, of Prism and and so on uh, obscured any any other security stories that we should actually be paying more attention to? Are these uh, are you, any thoughts on on stories that slip below the radar that w- this week that that might be worth following? You know, I don't have any specific stories that that this shed like to, but. I really believe this is the, it's going to come out that there are a lot more things like this going on, not necessarily the NSA or the CIA targeting, you know, U.S., but just much more things going on. We had Bloomberg, you know, a week or two ago, sort of spying or using, you know, customers' data. Um, I think we're going to see microcosms of this kind of stuff because, you know, if you say absolute power corrupts absolutely and you have access to all this data, what are you going to do with it, and, and and what are the rules and ethics behind it? Yeah, I would agree with that, and I would say that while I'm not aware of any stories that would um, that, that are being overshadowed by by this 
latest break, I do think that it's an opportunity for everybody, companies, large and small, and individual users and citizens to take a minute and think about their own personal privacy and you know, internet security postures and practices. Are, are they doing everything they, they should be doing to protect themselves, not necessarily from the U.S. government, although if that's a concern, by all means, you know, take steps, but against criminal activities and, and, and crime and attacks against uh, your own personal privacy from non-government actors. So it's a good opportunity to not only spark a debate publicly about cybersecurity and privacy, but also think about what we're doing ourselves to ensure that we're comfortable with our digital trail as we move through the Internet. One simple thing that everyone can do to make themselves a lot more secure online what is, that they don't do, what is it? Uh, just take a minute and try to figure out where sharing data and how comfortable you are with that. It could be, hey, the computer you're using to play games is the same computer you're using to you know, do credit card transactions and banking transactions. It could be a shared Facebook account and you've got ex-girlfriends you know, on that computer and things like that. It can be real simple stuff like that. So these people need to think about where their data is and what they really feel bad about losing. Okay, good advice. Rick? Exactly. Uh, the, you know, monitoring and managing your relationships, both personal and digital, to make sure that you don't allow your one account or one service to be co-opted by another service for malicious purposes. That, I think, is what a lot of people seem to overlook, are these digital relationships between servers and devices uh, that allow privacy violations to occur. Gentlemen, uh, Rangula, Richard Forno, thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, Friday evening to uh, speak with us here at the Security Ledger, and uh, we hope to speak to both of you again. Thank you. All right. Thank you.